Our very able-bodied and not senile at all president has done very few good things in his presidency. In fact, one of the very few successful things he has done is to institute a federal holiday called Juneteenth, leaving a lot of people wondering about the holiday and if there is a problem with celebrating it. So, is it that there is subconscious racism in America so deep that people are apprehensive about the holiday, or is there other problems with it that need to be discussed? We'll talk about that today on IndieThinker. Don't forget that our show today is sponsored by our friends over at Element Home Loans. If you're looking for a home, go get pre-approved for free right now by going to kevinblairteam.com. Hey guys, thanks for watching. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. After all, sharing is caring. So we're only about 50 subscribers away from 1,000 subscribers after only a year of doing this channel. So I'm really excited about monetizing the channel and stepping forward to create great content, continuing to bring on great guests as we're able to monetize the channel so you can help us do that. So just a couple subscribers away from being able to do that. So please, if you haven't yet, subscribe and then also uh, share this with others. And then when you do so, ask them to subscribe as well. Your help will be greatly appreciated as we continue to, to grow this channel and continue to provide great content for you. But then also wanna know, in an effort to provide great content, we have a Indie Thinker Live guest show coming up that you do not want to miss. Now I've been teasing the show and and I wanna to reveal today on uh, this episode who is gonna be our guest. So it's going to be a guy named Chris Buckley. Now, Chris Buckley is somebody that's been featured all over major publications like the Washington Post, and then was also somebody who testified before Congress about his experience being in the KKK and coming out of the, the, the KKK. So right now he helps people come out of extremist groups and then talks about extremism kind of um, on a large scale. And I think his insights are gonna be really, really helpful. Before I go into that any further, here's a little clip of him testifying before Congress that'll give you a flavor of who he is and what he's about. Extremism is not a political problem, but a public health issue. This is not simply a Republican or a Democrat problem. This is not a black problem or a white problem, a Muslim or a Christian problem. This is a human problem. By politicizing the issue, by confronting extremism to only one group of people, by using it as yet another weapon against the opposite side of the aisle and our political rivals, we don't heal the wounds, we just inflame them. Perhaps my story could tell you something about what happens when we as a society make a habit of resorting to quick and easy fixes that leave all of us worse off. Perhaps my story could be warming for what's at stake for when we get too comfortable with our status as victims and each other's actions. We prefer to assign blame rather than take responsibility. All right, so as you can see from that clip, Chris uh, has uh, a great, amazing, interesting story that I think all of you are gonna be interested in hearing, but then I'm also gonna be talking to him and kind of putting the pressure on him to, to share with us what his thoughts are about the political climate and how, um, how extremism is being used as a political tool for political points, rather than to actually identify problems and to really fix those problems. Like, I'm gonna ask him questions like, why are we no longer talking about racism and we're only exclusively talking about white supremacy? Uh, is the KKK really that you know prolific? Are there 
really that many members in the KKK right now, or is it kind of just fizzling out? How much of a threat is it really? So I'm gonna ask him those questions and so many more, and it's gonna be a fantastic night. And then, of course, you get to be a part of the conversation. At the end, you can ask Chris questions about his personal story. You can ask him about any of your misgivings about the way race is being used in America right now, and what we can do about extremism wherever we find it, on, on both sides of the aisle. So it's gonna be a fantastic night. So more information will come out about that. But if you live in the Chattanooga area, don't miss it. You're gonna to wanna to be there July 14th, 6.30 p.m. to be a part of this fantastic event. So it's free of charge and anybody can come to it. All right, so as we jump into our conversation conversation, conversation about Juneteenth, uh, I, I wanna give you a brief kind of definition about what Juneteenth is all about. So, so here's what Juneteenth is. On June 19th, 1865, some 2,000 Union troops arrived in Galveston Bay, Texas, where the Union Army finally gave word to the final territory. So Galveston's all the way down in the south. And so they had been traveling around to try to tell everybody what was going on and uh, with, with the 13th Amendment and the Emancipation Proclamation. Uh, and they finally arrived in Galveston, Texas, the last place they needed to report to. And they told the people there and the 250,000 enslaved black people in that state that they were free by executive decree, again, based upon the Emancipation Proclamation signed two years earlier and the 13th Amendment, which was signed in that same year of 1865 in January. So now, some have argued that slavery persisted even beyond this moment of this, this, this moment in American history where this proclamation was given on June 19th, and certainly that's true, but ultimately, by and large, what happened on June 19th is a great moment in American history where where slavery had seen its its last days and would finally wane until it became a distant memory and was no longer practiced in the American West. So this is why I wanna just go ahead and state at the beginning that I think Juneteenth um, in, in principle is a great holiday. It is significant that slavery should have ended in the American West as it did. We'll get into uh, how quickly it did in, in, in a moment here, but suffice to say, just generally speaking, what a, what a great thing to celebrate. We, we celebrate all sorts of things in America. We should have a place carved out, I believe, to celebrate the ending of slavery in America and the monumental decisions that were made to bring us to that place where we finally ended something that had been taking place in every civilization, regardless of color, all around the world for thousands and thousands of years. So in principle, Juneteenth is something that we should celebrate. Because generally speaking, holidays are fantastic, right? Get to spend time with family, get to take off of work, and all that. The more, the merrier. In fact, I would argue that perhaps we don't have enough like real uh, national holidays that, that we observe. Uh, now, of course, we should have a kind of like a robust conversation about which those should be because there is a day for everything. I think I was on YouTube the other day and they actually had tarot card reading day. Because school is the devil. Like, we are desperate to try to celebrate stuff in, in America and for everybody to be recognized, even if you don't deserve that recognition. But nonetheless, uh, holidays are generally great, so I think we should do it. And then again, uh, more importantly, a holiday about this great event in American history, I think should be celebrated. But there's a but here, and you gotta be careful where you put your butt, so I'm gonna put my butt right here. But some people have misgivings about this holiday, 
and people have misgivings, just generally speaking, because it was instituted by Joe Biden, and he doesn't really seem to be able to do anything except mumble through speeches very significantly. You know, there to be, you know, beginning uh, this effort uh, for 2021 is, uh, I think we've learned a few lessons from last year as well. There's help us, we, there, you know, being... And when he instituted it, he did so in the wake of George Floyd and the BLM riots. And people have misgivings about all of that because it sure seemed to be something that that was quickly turned for political purposes. So obviously that's a bee's nest. I, I'm gonna push that just to the side because it'll get us off track and just suffice to say, it, it just seems that race is being used as an extortion tactic. And it has for, for many years by people like the supposed Reverend Al Sharpton. Uh, but, but really, this is happening, you know, we're exploiting race so very often at a time where, especially in America, we're experiencing more equality, more prosperity than any, you know, civilization before it. And are we done? No. Do we need to make progress? Sure. But we've experienced such great progress that it seems odd when people like to try to avoid admitting that we've made such great and massive progress. Here's how we know we've made such great progress and equality has really been obtained in, in America by and large. I send you to John McHorder. What I was saying there was that Barack Obama's election proved that racism isn't what it used to be. And I will openly yeah. own that what I meant then, because I mean it now, is that racism, although it's a bad thing, although yeah. we must tamp it down, is not as conclusive an obstacle to black success as we often say. This is one of the few times that anybody with a brain has actually been on the stage of The View, but John McHorder there makes a great claim that the reason you know that equality has reached a high point in America is that right now the greatest impediment to black success is no longer white people or racism. The greatest impediment to black success, according to this very intelligent man, John McCorder, is actually single fatherhood or single parent, uh, single parent homes, illiteracy, and other things that have more to do with personal responsibility than it actually does with cultural issues or anything that you might consider racism. Sure, some of that might be traced back to residual effects of past racism, but ultimately those things by and large in America today can be undone through good decision making. In fact, according to the Brookings Institute, if you make three choices, you have a high percentage, regardless of race, of making it to the middle class. And those three decisions are as follows. Finish high school, get a full-time job, and then also wait until you're at least 21 to get married and to have kids. So again, that third one is important. Be married and then have kids. So if you make those three decisions, you are highly likely to be able to enter the middle class regardless of race and regardless of past economic social standing. All you have to do is those three things and you have a high likelihood of entering the middle class. So the question is just this, why is there so much conversation around the subject of race when those things are true? And this is why people have a little bit of apprehension when it comes to celebrating Juneteenth because we are experiencing great equality and when we talk about Juneteenth, we often don't find ourselves celebrating the, these kind of things, right? We don't find ourselves celebrating the greatness of America. So let me just give you a couple of 
the problems with celebrating Juneteenth at least the way we're celebrating it. And maybe then a kind of redemptive point at the end where we can say to be able to bring us all together in a way that we can celebrate this holiday and the way it should be celebrated, I'll try to provide a prescription. But the first thing is this. Juneteenth doesn't seem to be a celebration of America, but it should. Because America ended slavery quicker than any other civilization on the planet. Now listen to this. We became a country in 1776, regardless of what people at the 1619 Project have to say about it. We became a country in 1776 when we finally earned our independence in the Revolutionary War. And then in 1865, that's 89 years later, 89, we decided to end slavery when we finally signed in January of 1865, the 13th Amendment. Now, did it fully end slavery 100%? Were there hangers on? I'm sure there were. But ultimately, by and large, technically speaking, it only took us 89 years as a civilization to realize the horror and the evil of slavery in America. So this should be, Juneteenth specifically should be, a celebration of the greatness of America. But the problem is this, is that Juneteenth has its own flag. I mean, it's like what we're celebrating in Pride Month now. There is a flag for every single gender that wants to be represented under the sun. So there's like some 60, 70, 80 flags that you can fly over your house right now that nobody even knows what they mean anymore. And the problem is when you have a flag for everything, you have a flag for nothing. If we wanna fly a flag, on Juneteenth, we should fly the American flag. I, th the same kind of thing happens in my home with my two small boys. They don't wanna share a toy, so I have to go buy the other one the same toy so that they don't keep on fighting with each other instead of trying to get them to actually share and get along with each other. But this, this is the point, right, at the end of the day, is that the people who want to fly a Juneteenth flag are also the same people by and large who say, we don't wanna fly an American flag because it doesn't stand for us. Yes, it does. Juneteenth should prove when we celebrate this holiday for what it's really all about and what it really means, it should prove that America is for you and for everyone, regardless of your race, regardless of your creed, regardless of your religion, America is for you and me and all of us. But the fact that we don't see an American flag or, or a celebration of America as a great country that ended slavery so quickly is, is very telling. And it's a little bit unsettling to say the least. Now, here's the second thing. It's seen as a celebration specifically for a racial group. Now, it shouldn't be this way, right? White people should be able to access Juneteenth and celebrate it in the same way that black people should. But by and large, the media and those in, in the political class and, and many people who celebrate Juneteenth will treat it as though it is a holiday specifically dedicated to one race. This is also the problem with Pride Month, is that we cannot have a whole month dedicated to celebrating this small minority of a subsection in our society, especially when it comes to sexual orientation. And by the way, they give this away all the time during Pride Month, is that this is about sexual orientation and who you decide to have sex with and how you decide to have sex, more so than it actually is really about freedom and about the greatness of America to give you that freedom. We just got done with the Drag Your Kid to Pride event at Mr. Mr. in downtown Dallas, and I am here with Noelle Sinclair. And what is your name? I am Arielle Diamond. How do you think the event went today? 
I think it was amazing. I never get to like perform in front of children. What do you say to the conservative parents that wouldn't bring their children to an event like this? Why? Here's the thing. I don't think that there is any kind of issue with exposing children to this. I mean, I could keep on showing you disgusting clips with that same kind of thing. But the whole point here is this, is that a holiday should be something that brings us all together so that we're celebrating universal principles and not some rare and aberrant sexual orientation or even one group just simply based upon the color of their skin. It's at least troubling to do that. We should be celebrating holidays that bring us all together regardless of race. Now, I, I think that there, this probably speaks to something that brings us to the third point is that when we venerate a particular ethnic group or even a sexual orientation, essentially what we're doing is we're genuflecting at the altar of humanity. So ultimately, I worry about holidays that are merely about celebrating people, right? Celebrating not just ideas and not just things, not great events and great moments in human history. If that's what Juneteenth was, then hallelujah. But I get the feeling that this is more about black pride than it is really about a great moment that can bring us all together. And I wonder if it is not a repercussion of the secularism of our age that we want to genuflect at the altar of self because when God is removed, the person that we then worship is, is ourselves very often. And, and, and this undermines one of the greatest things that we should celebrate as we celebrate Juneteenth. We should celebrate the faith that brought freedom to a Western civilization. And that faith is Christianity. True, Christians were slaveholders, but the most ardent supporters of abolition were, guess what? White Christian evangelicals and former slaves who were Bible-believing Christians. In fact, it was, in some limited way, black preachers and pastors who articulated the faith to white slaveholders that made them reconsider their understanding of the humanity of black people. But the whole point is this. You cannot talk about abolition without understanding the 18th and the 19th century mind and the people who were practicing slaveholding and then the people who abolished slaveholding. You have to understand that to understand why it took place. So I'll give you a quick history lesson. What took place in the, in the 18th and the 19th century that caused this kind of reconsideration of slavery to take place? Because it had been taking place for hundreds of years prior in Britain. So at least as far as Britain is concerned, they ended slavery before us in 1806 and in 1807. In 1806, they ended the selling of slaves through the, the foreign slave trade. So no longer could you sell slaves and bring them from Africa to any other territory and sell those people. And then one short year later, they totally ended slavery altogether. Well, what preceded that that caused those things to happen, that caused slavery to be totally abolished in Britain? Well, of course, it was in the 1730s in the 1740s, just prior to these things starting to be enacted in their, their halls of government, there was something called the Great Awakening. The very first Great Awakening took place in Britain in the 1730s and the 1740s. And the Great Awakening was a resurgence of faith in Britain. And, and it focused on two things. The first thing was this, it focused on a repentance from sin or a turning away from that which was sinful and a return to the Bible. So it was focused on repentance and returning to the Bible. And that great awakening 
began to impact and, and affect the conscience of those in Britain to the point where people like William Wilberforce and John Newton and others among them stood up for the rights of black people and the rights of those who were being sold in the slave trade. And they said, this is something that we have to end. So it was the great awakening that became a catalyst for abolition in Britain. And then I bet you'll never guess what became the catalyst for an abolition of slavery in the American West. Well, of course, it was the Second Great Awakening, which took place in the early 19th century. So it was there where people like the Quakers had a resurgence of a biblical understanding of the Imago Dei, the image of God. As it says in Genesis, that all men and women are created in the image of God, that there is a spark of divinity in each and every one of us, which is merely just a resuscitation and a regurgitation of what Thomas Aquinas believed, that even though all of us have the propensity to sin, we are all made in the the image of God and have the capacity, regardless of our religion, regardless of our belief system, to do good. This is how come atheists can be good people and not just Christians are good people because all of us are made by the same God and he created us to have a capacity for doing good and also a capacity to do evil because we have free will. And so the Quakers believed that if people would come to Christ, that that spark of divinity would be uh, rebirthed in them and come alive, and they, they would understand the common grace that Aquinas talked about, and that we could truly tap into what it means to be the Imago Dei, to be made in the image of God, that we don't have to run away from that. And it was that teaching that brought to its logical conclusion in the Second Great Awakening, awakened people to realize that spark of divinity is in white people, but it's also in black people. It's in the people that right now operate as our slaves in the American West. And it was there that they started to recognize that their practice of slavery was inconsistent with their religious beliefs. So in other words, religious people had a moral obligation to follow their beliefs in a consistent fashion. And this is what the Second Great Awakening and the First Great Awakening did for both Britain and America. And it is the prime cause, among others, uh, other smaller causes, but it is the prime cause for why slavery was ended in Britain and in America. I mean, where do you think the whole idea of equality comes from in the first place? It didn't just come out of thin air because people are so smart. Guys, it comes from scripture. It comes from religious belief. Yet here's the big problem. Not only are we not celebrating America, we are also not celebrating the faith that brought this idea, this great idea of equality and the Imago Dei, and yes, original sin, but the redemption that can be found in Christ and the fact that we are all his children. The idea of Christianity and the faith that brought us that idea of freedom is not celebrated in the American West. I mean, just take it to a further point in history. When you look at the 1960s, when you look at the Civil Rights Movement, when you look at Martin Luther King Jr., absolutely a linchpin to the arguments and the ideas put forth by Martin Luther King Jr. They weren't neo-Marxist. They, uh, they weren't ultimately anti-American. They were Christian. And he was appealing to the Christian sensibilities inside of the hearts and the minds of each and every person in America to let them know that there is a hypocrisy with your belief in God and your belief in the fact that we should have a segregated society. The embers of Christianity burned brightly in and through the American civil rights movement in the 50s and in the 60s. And because of Christianity, it brought us to a place where we then abolished Jim Crow and, and made and continue to make significant progress. Now, I'm not asking people to be believing Christians. I'm not a believing Christian. Um, 
But one of the things I say is we are Christians anyway, mm. whether we mm. like it or not, and we're probably finding that out at the moment. I mean, right. where the hell do people think that human rights came from? Yeah, right. I mean, these are, these are things that exist on the embers of Christian thought. So if Christianity is not going to venture into the conversation, then we have to have the conversation. Which secular dogma are we celebrating? What is taking the place of Christianity in the celebration of Juneteenth? And whatever it is, it's not responsible for Juneteenth. So because of that, a lot of people find it a little unsettling to celebrate it. If we get the sinking premonition that Juneteenth is about the Marxist ideology found in Black Lives Matter, the destruction of the nuclear family, and the vast misunderstanding about human nature and what human beings are, if that is what Juneteenth is about, then I don't want any part of it, and many others are going to join me in that. But otherwise, if it is about the faith that brought abolitionists and Christians to stand up for what was right, and the principles and the ideas that founded America really being logically you know, carried out and, and lived out in the institutions of America, if it's about that, then I and so many others should and can celebrate Juneteenth for the great holiday that it should be. All right, guys, that's all the time we have for today. If that was helpful to you, then please make sure to comment below, share this with others. Thank you so much for watching. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.